by rattling snake and bullfrogs croak, the singing robin and jackalope. By howling coyote and gator's snout, to the crossroads we dance about. Welcome to Southern Bramble, a podcast of crooked ways. Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast, so if you want to see Austin and I get extra spicy with special guest hosts, head on over to patreon.com backslash Southern Bramble. If you subscribe, you'll get early access to podcast episodes, recorded video, monthly spell, sigil, or recipe outlines. You'll get to also ask listener questions. And if you join the top tier, you'll be acknowledged at the end of each episode. So please, if you'd like to support us, Check us out on Patreon. I promise you won't regret it. You're listening to Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. And I'm Austin Bane X Bramble on Instagram. And I am Georgina Rose. I go by Dot Darling D-A-A-T on pretty much every major social media platform. Welcome, Georgina. Thank you so much for joining our show as a co-host today. In other exciting news, I've joined Twitter. Um, oh, I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> no, I know. I think. Um, What's I your think, Twitter handle? Yeah, let me follow Banex, you. Banex Bramble. Oh, Banex oh. Bramble. Yeah, oh, original. I'm pretty sure. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure I even said you made me do it in my bio, Marshall. I did make you do you it. Pressured, you pressured me into it. Yeah, um, pressure. I actually really like it, but granted... Granted, I've been on Twitter for like maybe a week. So <laughs> this is my thing about Twitter. Twitter is like the one platform I have a very love and hate relationship with because I really like Twitter. I really, really liked it, especially when I was newer. But there's a lot of dumb, dumbness on Twitter. It's similar in a way to how I feel about TikTok, right? Though a little less intensely. Like I like Twitter, but there's a lot of like pettiness that comes with Twitter, if that makes any sense. But I do enjoy the platform because I like seeing people's like jokes and ideas. So I think it's funny, but I also think it's funny because like Twitter just intentionally doesn't want you to to win. Like the algorithm is just like, no, I don't know. It's just, it's very like, eh, eh. I don't even understand how the Twitter algorithm works. I mean, I do pretty well on Twitter. Like my tweets do pretty well, but I don't understand how they do or how like what I don't understand the Twitter algorithm at all. I don't either. I just really like to share every stupid homosexual thought that comes out of my mouth. It's good, really good for that. <laughs> I, I it's really bad to... for that. I think that's why people get canceled on Twitter all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I tweet really dumb stuff. I, my favorite thing that happens on Twitter is I'll tweet out like at one point I tweeted, "Wicca is the world's oldest religion, and there is not a single evidence piece that disproves this." which is pretty obviously satire. Like, I think that's pretty blatant. So people took me very seriously. And we're like, these Wiccans are so uneducated. I'm like, dude, this is blatant satire. I'm not, if you click on my bio, I'm not even a Wiccan. You need like your own special hashtag that's like hashtag Georgina satire. Hashtag Georgina satire. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny when I'll like make a troll tweet and people will just fall for it and they'll be like. Oh, they get defensive. I've been following you and I find some of the shit that you like like or retweet so fucking funny. <laughs> like I, I saw something this morning and I can't remember what it was, but I remember it just made me l- I was act laughing at 
at it like in my house at 9 30 in the morning just like cackling um <laughs> so Georgina what's going on in your life yeah tell us um, about you with you so with me things are going pretty well um I've not anything too too exciting I've been working on some Philema projects in the background that I'm that will be coming public soon so that's all very exciting that's cool um, how cryptic uh, and exciting I love it very cryptic a mystery but, tradition yes the mystery stuff that's coming soon but I've pretty much been you know doing how I how I how I do like I I've been reading I deep cleaned and reorganized my apartment yesterday uh been doing some rituals but it's been a good time things are well over here I wonder if I think sometimes the persona of like being on Instagram and having a podcast and things like that it gives perhaps perhaps maybe not for everybody but it really gives the perception that like I don't know that I I sit at my workspace or my working space and like I'm just shit slinging spells all day and doing rituals and um and that's you know not what that looks like I like I was listening to your to what you were saying and I was like yep big big occulty moves cleaning the apartment and and you <laughs> yeah. know doing all that I'm like yeah, Ooh, very spooky, spooky. people definitely have this idea that like online occultists don't do anything else with their time um and we just like do rituals every second of every day which there's not even a point to doing that even if you could mm-hmm. Um, but Here yeah, I am with no. my pine saw, just doing a ritual. <laughs> yeah, no, we all have normal lives, which I think is something that people uh, don't always realize because you only really do see a portion of someone's life on the internet. I don't like, I know some people like do personas where they're like, this is how I actually act in person. I don't, you know, I don't like have a, a pseudo personality. This is who I am. But um, I certainly am not like sitting on the altar reciting Crowley quotes every single second of every day. I don't believe that, actually. I think you definitely are. Yeah, I just sit there and I I read. read the book of the law four times a day. And you just pulled it out from from wherever you're at. From the void. You just pulled it out literally. I'm like, yeah, no, I know you. Yeah, I got to read this. I got to get my my numbers up. I got to read it uh, 10 times a day, you know, because that would be helpful. (laughs) That's that's what we do. (laughs) God spouse and AWAS over there. No, you got a God's house lamb. That's the weird film experience. That's, that's the real, the real hottie. Um, I saw something about the monkey of Thelema or the chimpanzee of Babylon or something. Could what is that? Um, I don't even know exactly. It's your new post with with your your like your head. Oh, the you, you have like a field? hanger. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. that. Oh, that's. I'm, I'm trying to have, figure out how to exactly explain that. Um, it's not a literal chimp. It's not, we don't have monkey Philema. I thought for a second you're referring to like Babylon riding the beast on the on the strength tarot card in the Foth tarot. And I was like, is that supposed to be an ape? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't think so. Um, but basically it's a way, because Thelema talks about Thoth like a little bit here and there, not super heavily, but sometimes. And that's sort of an expression of that would be the quickest way. Me looking confused is a good way to describe it. That's <laughs> that's the best way. It's one of the more niche Thelema things, basically. 
So I think um, a lot of, perhaps a lot of people will know about your work and, and that you're a thalamite um, and a ceremonial magician, but could you go into a little bit explaining what Thelema is and what you do exactly, kind of, without going into super sharp detail? Yeah, um, so basically I'm a Thelemite. Uh, Thelemite is the term for a person who follows Thelema. Thelema is the Greek word for will. Uh, it's a religion, philosophy, and magic system. All those three axes make up Thelema. You don't have to be all three to be a Thelemite, if that makes any sense. What, what defines a Thelemite is like a huge conversation, but Basically, um, Thelema, it was started in the early, right at the turn of the century, at the 18 to 19 transition there um, in England, and then was developed in the U.S. and Germany. Um, but basically, it's a, a system about will. That's the crux of it. That's what the word means. Uh, true will is basically the idea that every individual has a sort of set purpose and path in their life, and that can only really be discovered by communion with the divine. That's why we do all this ritual magic. The whole goal is to find your will and then be able to actually follow it. Um, the philosophy of the Lima connects a lot to the idea of will. There's also ideas in there about like love, liberty, individualism. There's, there's a lot of like philosophic bent to Thelema that I think a lot of other traditions don't necessarily have. Um, there's the religious side, which is like believing in, you know, all the, the God forms, the emanations, that this stuff works, right? Um, and then there's the system, the magical system part, which is what gets pretty much the most attention. People talk about it the most. People think of Thelema, they tend to think of this, this spoke on that wheel, uh, and that would be doing the rituals. Thelema is based in ceremonial magic. Uh, it's very similar to the Golden Dawn system, if you guys are familiar with that. Golden Dawn and Thelema share a lot with each other um, because they came out of the exact same time. Crowley was in the GD before Thelema. So if you know that system, very, very similar. Uh, but it's a lot of these like very ceremonial sort of lengthy rituals that involve invoking spirits. You see like angels, you see God forms, you see some demons, you see all sorts of like very interesting uh, ceremonial practices that come with the Lima as well. There are some other practices, uh, some of which you can't really talk about on the internet too well, or you'll get in a little bit of trouble. But there's, there's a lot of like, very rich mysticism that's associated with it. And that's kind of what most people think of first, but there is technically more to Thelema than the, the magic stuff because we believe magic is done for that reason. Um, Crowley actually defines magic as the science and art of using will to en enact change. So all of the crux comes from will, which interestingly, a lot of people don't know the word Thelema or what Thelema is exactly, but they kind of agree with that belief in modern occultism. Like you see a lot of sort of Thelemic ideas in a lot of mainstream modern magic, which I always found very interesting. I think that's a lot because a lot of our conceptualization of modern, I'll just say witchcraft because I feel like most people come into occultism through the introduction of things like Wicca and and witchcraft or even even if that's like poorly defined but you know what I mean I um yeah. and and so a lot of our conceptualizations of modern witchcraft is also going to be informed by the golden dawn um Thelema and, and things yeah. like that as well right 
Yeah, well, Wicca has a strong Islamic influence on it, especially traditional forms of Wicca. A lot less so when we talk about like online, eclectic internet Wicca, whatever you want to describe, neo-Wicca, whatever, whatever term you like for that group. Um, but Gerald Gardner, who went on to start Wicca, before he met the New Forest Coven, whether or not you believe the New Forest Coven story, uh, he was a member of the OTO, which is one of the bigger Thelemic organizations. So there is a strong impact there. You see within Wicca a lot of Thelemic influence, especially on the earlier forms of Wicca. As you get into like Doreen and then modern Wicca and Cunningham, that gets less and less prominent with time, but it's still there. Like there, there's certainly that influence is strong. As well, a lot of the modern left-hand path stuff has a strong Thelema influence on it. One of the things that I always find so fascinating is learning. So I'm a huge, like, uh, I love learning about the etymology, the history of things, how yeah. they've evolved over time. And so, like, I, I look at some of the things, like, from the Wiccan raid with, like, the and harm none, do as thou wilt. Yeah. And that actually comes from Crowley, where they, well... And harm known was not originally part of that that statement, yeah. but the uh, uh, can you can you say what that statement was again? It was yeah. I'm, so, I'm fogging now. And harm ye none, do what thou will is the the Wiccan one in the raid. Um, Crowley's version of it is do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love is the law. Love under will, which those two are pretty different statements mm -hmm. um, because. Uh, Thelema never has that like Wiccan raidy karmic take in it. Um, if anything, Thelema kind of sort of goes the other direction at times, because when you talk about love in a Thelemic concept, it's talking specifically about um, agape, which is the love for divinity and the divinity's love for man. It's like not referring to romantic love mm -hmm. because the word uh, love in that is translated from agape in Greek, which actually also adds up to 93 and so does Will which Crowley, who loved numerology, thought that was very cool. Um, but mysteries yeah, like, on mysteries on mysteries on mysteries. Yeah, yeah, he gets really into those like semantic-y things. But yeah, so Thelema is a lot less loving in that way because Thelema, there is a text called Liber Oz that outlines like sort of the way a Thelemite should live essentially. And it says in there pretty blatantly, if someone like blocks your rights and your ability to actualize your will, you are allowed to strike back and defend yourself. Like Thelema is pretty explicit with this idea. If someone's repressing you or oppressing you or whatever, or preventing you from living how you're supposed to live, it's completely within your rights as a Thelemite to do what you need to do to defend yourself and sort of stand your ground in that way, which is a big tone shift from the raid. That's one of, I think, are bigger differences. I mean, the raid was not like originally like in Wicca from day one, came a bit later, but that's definitely one of the big gaps between the two systems because Philema doesn't encourage like go out and harm people, mm -hmm. but it, it allows it and sort of encourages it within a defense context, if that makes any sense. Justification. Uh, yeah. I am curious. So the do it that wilt, because I've actually been curious about this in the past and you've explained this really really well um i would love for the listeners to understand that your will is not like what you feel like doing right now your will is a much bigger picture on that it's not like oh well i feel like having pizza right now so that's my will and that's what i'm going to do period can you explain what the will actually is a little bit better or more more defined yeah. so the big axiom of thelema is do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law most people have heard that part to be honest i actually used it in sabrina weirdly mm -hmm. enough during the bad <laughs> scene which kind of cracked me up a little bit and then there's love is the law love under will 
Um, but when we talk about Will and Philema, it's we're talking about that bigger thing. I actually I saw a meme the other day that really made me laugh. I'm going to describe it. It was eating a cake full of killer bees is not a Thelemic virtue unless it's your will. Sort of poking fun at this idea that will is what you want. <laughs> Obviously, you should not eat a cake of bees, right? Please don't do that. But right. will is not like what you want in the moment. Um, we don't like condemn that stuff, but if it's blocking you from what you're meant to do with your life, like that's against will. Will is what you do when you, what you discover when you do all these rituals or meditate or however, however you go about it, there's procedures and a lot of ideas on how you discover it. But basically will is the big picture of your life, your divine purpose in a sense. So your will is not like, I'm gonna, you know, mess around and do things that will hurt me long-term. You know, you can't really self-sabotage. Like that, that would be against will. Because the only real like sin or whatever in Thelema would be to not follow your will. That's like the one thing that's sort of not allowed because do what thou will chubby the whole of the law. That's the law. The law is to follow your will. So you need to think long-term. You need to think, what is my ritual work telling me I'm supposed to be doing with my life? Discovering your will is a long process and it's one that's sort of ever ongoing. It's not like you get an answer one time, you know, it's, it's a lengthy process. It's why you do all these rituals for so long. Like it's an ever sort of evolving and growing thing. So Will's like the big, the big will. It's, it's not what you want in the second. A lot of people interpret do what thou wilt as like pure hedonism. Basically they're like, I can do whatever I want. It's not whatever you want because will and want are not the same thing. There's a, there's a difference there. Your will does make you happy when you're following it. Like when you're in line with your will, uh, everything tends to go well in life. Like that's something I noticed. That's something Crowley wrote about extensively, but yeah, it's, it's, it's the bigger thing. It's not what is I, what do I want in the second? And yeah. So I kind of want to get a little bit more into Georgina. Let's talk about you a little bit more. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe like your childhood and your first exposure to the occult world? Yeah. Um, so as a child, I was really into like thinking a lot. I was always a nerd. Like I didn't have the like weird kid goth way that a lot of people get into the occult. I was like very like nerdy, I'd like read a lot, you know, that type of stuff. I really liked watching the news, whatever. I was a huge nerd as a kid. Um, and I would always like try to read these like books that I thought were kind of edgy, right? Like I would read the like the provocative political literature, you know, anything that I've heard was like edgy or hard or intense or against the status quo, like that type of stuff. I loved reading that. So that sort of is part of what brought me towards the occult. But as a kid, I did some things that I definitely think are occulty now. Um, I remember as a kid, we would go to church. My family were like Christians, but they were not fire and brimstone Christians. They were very much into the like love and light Jesus type Christianity, uh, which I think is probably better. Like they, they didn't like the old test, you know, those type of Christians. Um, they were very loose about it too. Uh, I call my mom in a weird way, like a new age Christian, if that makes any sense. It but does. It, it's, <laughs> it does. A of, it's a type of thing. Like it definitely it is. is. Um, and so I would go to church and I would like read the Bibles in the pew because they always had like a copy of it in the pew ahead. So I would try to like read it because I was curious because my church was very much, it was an Episcopal church, but it was like a very, I don't know. They were very love and light Episcopal church. I don't know how to describe it. They would like, you know, focus on the like giving, they'd focus on that part of the Bible, not the like fire and brimstone stuff. But I knew all that stuff was in there. Right. I was like, 
I want to know the other half because that wasn't what I was taught in church, right? Um, so I tried reading the thing and there were certain things that definitely like stuck out to me. And I was like, this doesn't really make sense. God's kind of being a dick. Uh, and I sort of accidentally became Gnostic. I didn't know what the word Gnosticism meant. I, I know what it means now, but I had this like theory that God was this like oppressive tyrant um, and Lucifer was just trying to get the angels like workers rights. Um, I, I, workers I, I, yeah, I had the <laughs> feeling Lucifer's just trying to unionize the angels. Okay. He's trying to start a labor union. Um, which is an interesting interpretation of the Bible. <laughs> and so I like read it and these things would really bother me. I remember we read like the great flood thing and like the youth group or whatever. And I was like, why did he do a genocide? Why, why are we okay with this? <laughs> I feel like this is a war crime. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, isn't this a little inhumane? Isn't that kind of bad? And he's like, he survived too. I'm like, he still killed tons of people because they were mean to him. That's kind of psycho behavior. And so I like had these, I asked accidental heresy or whatever, but this stuff like really bothered me. Like, I, I remember I talked at a church lock-in to this like youth pastor. I like went up to her and I was like, look, we need to have a conversation. There's something I'm really struggling with the Bible. And they like pulled me aside. I think they thought I was going to come out as gay, to be completely honest. Because they were <laughs> like, you are so accepted. And you know, like, they're like, you're very welcome. Like they're being very sweet. And I was like, why, why did Lucifer kill less people than God? why is he the bad guy? And they were like, what? This is what you came to talk about. You are no longer accepted. Step back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, like, I was like, this stuff really bothers me. I don't get why we were rooting for God. I was, it's so funny you mentioned that because I, I, I grew up going to an Episcopal church as well. And you're describing it perfectly. It was this mixture. It's very Catholic light. Um, it it's, is, yeah. it's very Catholic. It's a lot of the same pomp and ceremony, but way less of the pomp and ceremony as long as I can describe it. Um, it's not yeah. very Baptist, which is very hell condemnation. Southern Baptist is very like Old Testament, very hell condemnation. But I remember being, and I think I, I mentioned something adjacent to this when I was on y'all's show on uh, yeah. uh, Magnolia's and Magic when they asked me to stop speaking in confirmation class because I was confusing yeah. their kids. What I didn't tell you on that episode was the theory that I had come up with because I was like, okay, I've got it now. I understand everything. I totally yeah. get it. I am understanding what you guys are saying and what I'm actually getting is that is that that the Garden of Eden was the original heaven right and he's looking at me like yeah. um oh, okay and I was like and when they ate the fruit they actually were sent to hell they just called it earth and hell, I, it made sense to my childlike mind and still does today so they were sent to hell a place without God and so for people who live here on earth and hell and all you, you know, all, you know, as Christians, we say, if you don't believe in God, you go to hell. That's where reincarnation comes from. You just keep coming back to earth over and over again. So Heresy. that's all these, yes, that's all these different religions can, can coexist together because their different belief systems call these different planes, different ideas. And he was just like, we need to have a discussion out in the hallway. Just give us one second. Keep reading the Bible children. And that was, you need to stop speaking Marshall. <laughs> I think this conversation is actually really rich and super interesting because I I knew that a little bit about you, Georgina, because I've heard you say that you used to like read revelations and shit like that when you were yeah. a kid just for like funsies and fun. same. And um, that's so interesting that you brought that up, Marshall, because literally my 
so I went to a Protestant um, Christian academy when I was from like third grade to fifth grade. And, you know, I grew up pretty waspy too, very like new age Protestant. Jesus is, you know, love and light, not super yeah. intense. It wasn't anything like fucking weird, but also like not super scary. So I also used to to desire like the mysticism of Christianity that is absolutely in there. And so I would like read Revelations as a kid. And I remember I would have so many like personal, not, or not personal gnosis, but like as a kid, you fit yeah. this religion into a context that makes sense. And like that. If it's all a puzzle, we're trying to solve it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you would express these ideas, especially like in a religion, a religious class, like I, I, I we would have like religious class or religion yeah. in our school and it was mandatory. And like, we would have like Bible verse memorizations and things like that. And, um, I, I remember I would get in like trouble a lot because I would be like, you know, I'd express ideas or, or even not, some of them weren't ideas. They were just like straight up like heretical, perhaps apocryphal, uh, like things that you would find in the Bible. And I'm like, I, I don't know. The Witch of Endor is really out here like being consulted by Saul, y'all. Like, I, and, and I know what Leviticus says, but I don't know. There's a lot of contradiction in here, babes. And they would be like, mm, mm, mm no um we need to talk to your parents and I'm like okay whatever that's fine uh yeah but just growing up growing up being a child of the devil <laughs> basically from a young age I love that for me oh yeah well I was like a literal Gnostic by accident every time I read about Gnosticism now I'm like yeah that was like 10 year old me 10 year old me was would have been into this shit from Literally. the mouth from the mouth of babes right from the mouth of babes <laughs> so how did you go from being a a child heretic to getting into occultism and witchcraft tell me more yeah so i was always spiritual i never really like had an atheist moment um i remember i sort of called myself like a deist for a while even though i definitely did not fit that description um, I didn't really know how to label myself because I definitely believed in this stuff, but I didn't think like the church was right about it, but I didn't really fit myself in any other camp. So I was like a religious centrist. So I, I don't really know. Like I was in some weird gray zone for a long time. And I, I, I always thought about it, you know, um, but I never thought about it too, too much. I went through a period where I wasn't as, I was thinking about different ideas. Right. And then I was like in a point in my life where I wanted to get into self-help of all things. Like I wasn't like in a bad place or whatever, but I wanted to self-improve, right? I was like, there are things I can work on. I'm going to work on them. So I start looking into like self-helpy stuff. And I start thinking, I see what, I, I see a lot of these books are like new age spirituality, right? And so I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'm going to think about spirituality again, you know, break out the old ideas. Let's think about what I believe. And so I started sort of experimenting a little bit. I was experimenting with like Appalachian folk magic style stuff, like weird Christian folk magic stuff at first. Uh, and it worked, but I wasn't really like loving it, if that makes any sense. Like I got results. It, it definitely solidified in my brain that the occult was real, right? I knew that, but I didn't know like what exactly or why I thought it worked, you know, all that stuff. So I start reading. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start reading some of these books. And I get a copy of Black Arts by Richard Cavendish. 
because I went into the Barnes and Noble and it seems like the most intense book. And my brain is like, I want to read this one. Yep. You know, I like the title. They, there's a little bit of an edge lord in me, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then you crack it open and then you crack it open and you're like, oh. Yeah, no, it's not an edgy <laughs> book. Um, I haven't read it in a couple of years, but I it's, really it's like- It's very dry a- toast. Yeah, but I loved it. I was like, this is what I was looking for. This is the shit. <laughs> like now I know, because it was really the first time I ever heard of ceremonial magic in that book. Because a lot of the beginner books don't touch on it. And so I was like, this is what I want. This is what I believe. I'm going to start calling myself an occultist, right? Um, and so I dive deeper. I go online because I'm a Zoomer, okay? Everything starts on the internet. So I start doing online research. And I discover the name Crowley. It keeps popping up. And I remember I was, someone told me I have, it was on like some forum, like years and years ago. They told me I am a very thalemic person. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Are you insulting me? Okay, I'm going to read some Crowley now, which I see why. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> but I like read Crowley. And the first thing I read was the Book of the Law. Made no fucking sense. I didn't know what was happening. The book of the law is like literally a channeled cipher. So once it starts making sense to you, that that takes a while, right? The book of the law is very, I mean, that's part of why I love it, right? Because it's so rich and layered and complex. But yeah, so I start reading Crowley and I start getting it a little bit. I read some Duquette, which is like the easier way to read Crowley. Don't start with like the hard stuff. It's, it, my, I made that mistake really hard. Um, and I was like, okay, this makes sense. I really like this. I started experimenting with the rituals, start doing things like the LBRP. I learned like the Golden Dawn style rituals, whatever. Start doing it. My results are even better. I love doing them. And so I'm like, yes. And then I have dived deeper and deeper for years now. And now I'm here. And now here we are, internet occultist, TikTok band extraordinaire. <laughs> band on every, yeah, I'm very band on every. You're too edgy, Georgina. It's so funny. I, I, for those who don't know, I almost got banned on Instagram. Like they literally sent me like an email. They're like, "We are going to take your account down." I had to contact someone who knows the staff at Instagram to get my account back up. Wow. Um, yeah, so I actually did almost get banned from Instagram. Wrongfully, actually. They realized that it was bullshit. Um, I've had videos taken down on TikTok, which is so funny because I really don't think I say anything that out there. I think I just, I have bad luck with these platforms. So yeah, I've, I have been almost banned. <laughs> I learned, I, can't... I was going to say, I learned a lot of things from from Frankie too when when they were on the show talking about like, if you have this in there, you run the risk of, of it being shadow banned. If it's too dark, um, if it's if it's got like all shoulders and it looks like you might be possibly naked. If, if you say these words, like there are certain things that like, I think this is very similar in Instagram as well, where the algorithm automatically flags it and no human has even looked at it yet. And if you have any, if you have like any haters who just want to mass report you, it, it takes over before a human can even make a decision. Yep, which I've had big problems with Instagram because of that. Um, TikTok, I have less issues with because TikTok has just taken individual videos of mine down. I've never even gotten a week. No, I got a week ban once, but I've never gotten anything more extreme than that because they give you like temp bans before mm-hmm. 
full ban you. I've never been live stream banned or whatever. I got banned for a week. That one, I do think it was kind of warranted. So I'm okay with that. I was like, yeah, I kind of get why you guys did that. But the Instagram one was ridiculous because I was talking about the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Uh, and there's a party, in, a political party in Greece called the Golden Dawn. Um, the Greek political party called the Golden Dawn is like considered a terrorist group in some countries. Oh. They've done a lot of, yeah, they've done a lot of crazy stuff. They like tried to kill people. Um, they're like a very hardline far right party in Greece. I didn't know they existed. And so I got warned they were going to take my countdown for promoting dangerous or violent organizations. And I was like, Excuse me? Yeah, I'm a solitary practitioner. What organizations am I promoting? <laughs> right. Very interesting. The Golden, the Golden Dawn's going to make you sick from all those obnoxious colors that they use. That's all. Their colors are terrible. The gold, no one is a Golden Dawn practitioner for the aesthetic. I don't care. I'll say it on main. The Golden Dawn tools look ugly. I, they look bad. Um, <laughs> it's true. But yeah, so I had to like, they, they got my account back up. It was fine. But I wasn't allowed to do like I had features taken away from me for months like I couldn't swipe up I couldn't live stream a lot of weird stuff like I couldn't post with the branded little thing very weird I have had a lot of problems with Instagram in my account um so I don't focus on that platform because I feel like I'm like five minutes away from getting banned in a given moment. <laughs> I'm like, they're going to take me down one day. I, I honestly think they might actually go through with it at some point, even though it'd be, you know, nonsense. But other platforms, I haven't had as much of an issue with. Insta TikTok has just been mad because I've showed photos of people holding knives. Uh, the last thing that got taken down from TikTok of me is I showed a painting where you could see a naked person that was like a classic Greek painting or whatever. And they said it was porn uh yes wow. ancient ancient statues were just ancient porn ancient porn <laughs> tiktok but yeah a, so i've had some problems with platforms but it could be worse i like making online content um but i think that kind of comes with the territory the platforms are kind of sucky sometimes yeah so i'm curious so you you've talked about going from starting with like folksy sort of magic and Appalachian uh, mountain magic, which you're from that Appalachia, right? Yeah, originally. Yeah. I don't originally. live there, but I grew up there. Right. Um, so what, so you now like told us about what got you into ceremonial magic. Can you tell us like some of the differences people might recognize between what folk magic is and ceremonial magic is? Because out of all the people I know, you know so much are so educated on ceremonial magic. What would you say to someone who has really no idea what the difference is to help explain it? Um, well, I mean, the biggest difference is whether is how the procedure, right? Ceremonial magic is much longer, much more ritualistic. There's a lot more, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance in um, ceremonial magic that's not there in folk magic. Um, the history is very different because ceremonial magic was developed by upper class men in Europe, um, whereas folk magic is the magic of the people. That's sort of a big difference there. Uh, and that pattern is not as pronounced now because of the decentralization that happened with the rise of the internet. That gap really started to break. It started to shatter a little bit with the Golden Dawn allowing women in when they were one of the first groups to ever do that. Um, so that was sort of when that started cracking. But yeah, it's less of a divide like that now, but in the past there was a huge socioeconomic divide. Um, 
the way their, their end goals tend to be different. Ceremonial magic is much less results focused. It's a lot more about like those higher mystic goals in a lot of ways. Like it's a little closer to mysticism sometimes. Um, and the, the way they, they function is a little different, like on the, the basis and theoretical side, the metaphysics vary. Um, but in the end, they're not as far apart as sometimes people make them out to be. Um, like there are some practices that sort of skirt the line between the two. I think traditional Wicca is a great example of that. Like Wiccan, like older Wiccan rituals, I think really skirt that line of being ceremonial or, you know what I mean? Like the Wicca stuff is one that's really in that middle zone. Um, but I'm pretty solidly on the ceremonial side. I still do some folksy stuff for particular things. Um, because sometimes like you don't really need to do the whole nine yards of ritual, but yeah. I think it's really interesting, the intersection, which I know I've talked about before, and I, I find it very interesting, like where ceremonialism and like folk magic kind of intersect or also how they're not that different. Like if you look, there's a book um, from Klassen, I believe it's an academic text, but it was, it's a translation of two working books called um, the Boxgrove Manual and the Antiphoner Notebook. And it's all compiled into one book called Making Magic in Elizabethan England. It's a early modern period text that kind of shows this separate dichotomy. The Antiphoner Notebook is a working book for a cunning man. And it's very folksy, very like make a doll out of this person or like, you know, make a doll out of wax and inscribe these numbers on it and say a prayer and this will bring a thief to return your stolen goods. And then the Boxgrove manual is very like make a layman in yeah. the day and hour. And it's, it, but it's very interesting because both of them still were like the two anonymous people who wrote these books, they were still both quote unquote normal like everyday people and you'll actually see some of the intersections of like how they went about doing these things typically like the same goal just a different way of working about it but there's also like similarities between the two practices and I find that very interesting well a lot of the theoretical basis of them is the same I mean the idea of like the macrocosm and the microcosm tracks across both um, the elements, like stuff like that. Like they do, they do have some overlaps on the ideological end. So they're, they're not, this is the thing, they're not as different as a lot of people make them out to be, but there is still a distinction. Um, I think people who try to say they're completely different are kind of off. Um, I practice bits of, uh, I guess, modern traditional craft mixed with like folk craft. So a huge portion of what I do is more folksy, but there are times that it's like, okay, so I know this folk charm I want to create, but before I do that, I want to create the right setting. So I have a ritual to, to open that. And before I finish this all, I have a license to depart that I have put together as part of my ritual aspect. So it goes from throwing some things in a bag and, and then burning a sigil to, okay, the, my beginning, my middle, the work, and then the close out. And all of a sudden it's gone from a simple folk charm to a little bit more of a ceremonial aspect of, yeah. of building that power and 
kind of bringing it back home in the end, it reminds me very much so of that crossover you see in, in like traditional Wicca or traditional witchcraft or like tradcraft. And it's not just, hey, I got this rock by the river and I told it to do this for me and I'm done. Yeah. No, I, I like seeing them intersect. I think it's cool the way that they can work together. Uh, and ceremonial magic has so many wildly crazy origins. There's this really wonderful podcast I like to listen to sometimes called um, uh, What Magic Is This? And I think yeah. you know what I'm talking about. You both have, have listened to it, I think, before I mentioned it. But they go into a lot of the really wonderful histories of 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 the OTO, uh, Rosicu Rosicution uh, societies, uh, the Golden Dawn, a lot of these either fraternal or magical sort of ceremonial magic society some were deep secrets that are only coming out sometimes centuries later and it's very interesting learning how these over a period of time evolved into the ceremonial magic we know today uh can can you tell us any about some of these these societies or maybe some of the differences between them i know crowley himself was in multiple ones do you, yeah. do you know very much about some of these societies or what i'm talking about Oh, definitely. Um, the society thing, a lot of the ones that we talk about come around that Victorian period. Um, that was sort of the peak of them because that was the original occult revival, right? There was the Victorian occult revival, the 1970s spiritual revival, and then there's the current one. They sort of come in, there also was a bit of one in the 1940s as well. So like they come in this like 30 year gap, which I find very interesting. Um, I think we're sort of a, a little past the peak of one, but yeah. So a lot of these societies were running at that time. Um, some of them do actually still exist, but most of them are kind of in decline currently, mm -hmm. um, mostly due to the rise of the internet, as well as some other factors group to group, but they're still around, you can still join them, but a lot of them are kind of past their prime would be the best way to put it. Um, but there's the Golden Dawn, uh, that is the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. If you've ever used the Rider Waite Tarot, you're familiar with the Golden Dawn that came out of the Golden Dawn, so... You know, they gave us a lot. They gave us, they're very instrumental. Uh, they, the original Golden Dawn group does not exist, but there are a lot of groups claiming to be revivalist style groups. Mm -hmm. So there are still modern Golden Dawns. They're just not the same group. Um, with all these groups, uh, there's a lot of discourse about lineage and who's like the real surviving group or whatever. That's a whole can of worms. But if you ever want to try to join one of these groups, please look into the lineage stuff. So you know like what exactly you're joining because there's a lot of petty stuff with all that. The OTO is a Thelemic one that was originally part of German Freemasonry and then they all got kicked out of German Freemasonry because they did Tantra with women. Uh, and then Crowley was like, yeah, I'm gonna join this one. And then it became the Thelemic group. Uh, interestingly, <laughs> the OTO originally was not Thelemic, which I think a lot of people think it's like the group of Thelema, no, it was it was a German Freemasonic order during Weimar, the Weimar period, and a little earlier that got taken over. There's the Fraternity Saturni, which is my favorite. Uh, they they they're only in Germany; they're not in the U.S. Um, but they're a Thelema adjacent group that has a lot of Saturn stuff in them. They're very cool. They're controversial, but they're very cool. There's Freemasonry. I think we're all sort of aware of them. Um, and know a bit about them. There's the Rosicrucians, which are kind of similar to Freemasonry. The big one now is A-O-M-A-M-O-R-C. That's the big modern Rosicrucian group. Um, I'm trying to, I was trying to spell it. I was like, wait, A-M-O-R-C. <laughs> um, builders of the Atnium, 
they're mostly known for teaching tarot classes these days, but they're another one of these groups. They're actually one of the easiest ones to contact. Um, but yeah, like there, there's a lot of them. There's even more than the ones that I listed. Those are the ones that are kind of the most relevant for modern occultism. No shade to the ones I missed, like IOT and Typhonian order. They're just a lot smaller. So those are like the big ones that people pull from. Um, but yeah, they're, they're complicated. Each has their own history, their own practices, but they're around. They're very, they were very influential for a long time. They were definitely like the caliphates and the bastions of these traditions for a very long time. That is no longer the case uh, due to the internet, mostly. Um, the rise of solitary practitioners did a big hit on all of these groups. Yeah. So. Yeah. I remember you mentioning once something I was, I think it was specifically talking about uh, Buckland's, the complete book of, of witchcraft, the big blue book, as everyone knows it. I remember it, you made a comment once saying that you were either reading it and you felt like, oh, wow, I'm seeing a lot of things very golden, John, golden, golden, John, oh, the golden, John, <laughs> golden Dawn adjacent. Was that, was that a correct statement or am I misquoting you on this? I think that's correct. I don't know how I exactly said it. That sounds like something I would say. Um, so I believe that I said that. Perfect. Good. 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 Yeah. No, all the Wiccan stuff has a strong Golden Dawn influence on it. And yeah, because that was so. part of like some of the original traditional taught down from lineage. I mean, it was. Yeah. Well, was... they were very strong. They were very much like the group for a long time. I mm -hmm. mean, in England, in the 1800s, early 1900s, they were like the hot group. Everyone wanted to join them. I mean, like W.B. Yeats was in there. A bunch of these like famous writers joined it. Like it was a very high profile group. They did a lot of really instrumental things. I mean, modern Enochian comes from them. They popularized the Abram Mallet. Like there, there's a lot they did. They made modern tarot, like Golden Dawn were huge, and a lot of modern ritual magic does come from them. And they're where we get the watchtowers, like the whole idea yeah, of the watchtowers. Yeah, that was something. Sure. Yeah, that was something very new for me. Learning that, sure, we call the quarters. Sure, we call the elements from each side. But the actual verbiage and understanding that that I missed a few things, not understanding the history of it. I'm not just calling a direction. I'm calling the watchtower. And who's at the watchtower? The watchers. Like it gets into some of the history of, of, of like Enochian and these, these yeah. angels. Like I didn't realize, oh, I'm calling upon angels here. I wasn't aware I was participating in that dichotomy. <laughs> Yeah, well, because the Watchtower stuff comes from the Golden Dawn's takes, what they call Golden Dawn Enochian is called Neo-Enochiana, if you want to get really technical about it, because it is a little different than the original stuff that John Dee was doing. That's called D-Purist Enochian. Those are the two forms of Enochian, the two schools of thought, uh, Neo-Enochiana, Neo-Enochiana, and then D-Purist Enochian. Um, I lean Neo-Enochiana pretty hard when it comes to Enochian, because I'm a fellow. Well, there, right. There's not that there's not that much with with d i mean we have like some of his stuff but it, it's not like yeah there's just not that much of it you know what i mean yeah. like i will give the d purist camp this at the time when the golden dawn was like around we didn't have all the stuff like that we have now we discovered some stuff later um and some of the translations of enochian onto the tables are better in d there's like small things that make it a bit important or whatever, but most people do the, the Neo stuff. But yeah, like the Watchtowers comes from that, which I, I don't think a lot of people realize. I mean, the Golden Dawn really have their, their roots all across modern practice, even if 
you know, not everyone practices strictly the Golden Dawn system anymore. There are people who do, um, but it's it's not as widespread as people who sort of use their ideas, which I feel like is pretty much a through line for all of these kind of older traditions. I think Wicca is going to be the same thing in a couple of years. Um, going to have that same feeling that Thleme and GD have, where it's the root of a lot of these things, but not as many people actually adhere to them properly now. Mm. And just so our listeners know what we're talking about, because we're using a lot of abbreviations too. Uh, 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 John D was the Elizabethan spiritualist and on, on hand, uh, almost more like the court, ma- I would hate to say court magician, but he was, uh, yeah. he was pretty much a spiritualist who who really kind of uh, put together what we know of as Enochian magic today, which is the angelic magic. And which then of course connects back to Golden Dawn and the watchers that, I mean, <laughs> let's go back to the Noah story, right? Yeah. No, it all, it all links in very interesting ways when you learn sort of all this stuff. It really does. So can you tell us a little bit about some of these key players and in, in, in the history of really what brought a lot of these, these societies that were sometimes secret, sometimes not, like uh, Crowley, Gardner, Parsons, like how, how Beyonce. can we, Beyonce. <laughs> Beyonce? Well, we know Jay-Z uh, wore a hoodie that said, do what thou wilt once. So he's a thalamite, you know? Obviously. <laughs> the conspiracy theorists will claim that. Ghostmane, Ghostmane. Ghost but he really Ghost is a thalamite, isn't he? Oh, he's legit. Yeah, no, he's an actual thalamite. Like I, I thought that wasn't serious, but it, it actually is. He said in an interview, like he identifies as a thalamite. He's red curly. I think it's it's very funny that a SoundCloud rapper is like the highest profile preacher. That's actually really hot. And I don't know what he looks like, but I kind of want to go on a date with him. So perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so but. tell maybe tell us a little bit about Crowley. Obviously, he's a huge progenitor of of what we know of today. I mean, he's obviously got quite a reputation. <laughs> Let's talk uh. about it. Yeah, so Aleister Crowley is one of the most controversial people, even outside of the occult. Uh, He actually, at the turn of the 2000s, Life magazine did an article, like an issue of the 100 Greatest Britons, and Crowley was put in there. And that got a lot of protests. People were very upset about this. Um, I think he deserves the spot. But like, even even, like in the non-occult space, he is polarized but he's kind of gone down in history in a very weird way um because he's very well known i mean non he's been immortalized in like ozzy osbourne songs like tv shows like to name their villains crowley like you see it in good omens and supernatural uh which personally i think crowley would have really appreciated i think he would have <laughs> liked it he would have gotten a kick out of it um he was definitely a provocateur at the time he would do these interviews with british tabloids and essentially troll them what we would now call trolling Um, A very famous one is when he sat down with an English reporter uh, and they asked him if he killed babies and he joked, well, I sacrifice children every day as a, as a reference to ejaculating without impregnating someone, which they took literally. Millions a day. Yeah, millions, millions millions a day. That's the line, Um, which obviously is not literal um, because he would be in jail. Murder was illegal at the time. Uh, he also, there was a journalist called John Bull who ran a title calling him the wickedest man in the world that sat on British newsstands with hit. That's the title. Um, he was very controversial. I bet he loved and, that. 
for for good reason. I mean, he was very. It, it, what's interesting about Crowley is his ideas were so counter to society at the time, but now are really not that out there. Mm-hmm. Like, at time kind of caught up to Crowley in a very interesting way. But yeah, people thought he was like literally like the devil at the time. Like he was he was considered very provocative within the occult community he was too when he was in the golden dawn i mean he kind of led to the golden dawn breaking down um he got into a lot of drama with other order members particularly samuel mcgregor mathers who's one of the most famous occultists he translated a bunch of really important stuff um you know he developed a lot of these systems he developed enochian he developed the abram allen operation he did a lot of really good work. He and Crowley had this thing they called the Battle of Blythe Road, where Crowley showed up wearing a Scottish kilt. Um, and they they tried to summon goetic demons at each other, essentially the proto-witch talk hex war. Um, W.B. Yeats was an Irish poet, mostly known for his poetry. Um, and he allegedly, this is alleged, this is debated by historians. I like to think it's true. Uh, got in an argument with Crowley and then kicked him down a flight of stairs. Uh, yeah, the guy, the guy was not the most loved dude. Um, he also led the first manned edition up K2, the second tallest mountain in the world. They did not get to the top. It did not work. It went fucking horribly wrong, but they did do that. He also founded the religion of Thelema while in a pyramid in Cairo. Uh, so he's done a lot. Crowley was very instrumental. He developed a lot of modern occult ideas but he was uh, very controversial and still is. He's controversial now for different reasons that he used to be controversial for, but he's certainly a figure. He's very polarizing um, to say the least. There's Mathers, he's important. He developed a lot of these systems. Um, There's E.A. Waite who created Tarot with Pamela Coleman Smith. He's a little important. He was kind of a nerd and is not as polarizing as the rest of these people. He kind of kept to himself, but he developed modern tarot. Gerald Gardner founded Wicca after seeing pretty women in the woods at the New Forest Covenant, <laughs> seeing the, the ladies. And and when did Gerald Gardner, I, 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 miss, I'm, I don't know the date specifically. I'm not sure if you do. I'll cut this out if you don't. <laughs> like when exactly did Gerald Gardner come, come across and like cross paths for a period of time with Aleister Crowley because you see some of the he was part was it the OTO or the Golden Dawn because I know he, he was initiated OTO, OTO. He was OTO. yeah he was in Golden Dawn um but yeah so it was earlier in Gardner's life and then Gardner broke off and then did the new forest covenant and then started Wicca so he was pretty young when he was involved with Thelema. some people in Thelema like to kind of overplay Crowley's like power over Wicca and say that he like wrote some of the ritual. I don't think that's true. Um, mm-hmm. He clearly had influence, but the two didn't really know each other that well on a personal level. They weren't like close, you know what I mean? Because Crowley, it's it's clear the people he was close to, like Israel, Regardi, and Crowley were very close. Um, Kenneth Grant and Crowley were close. Like the people who were, he wasn't in Crowley's like circle per se they knew of each other, like they were around at the same time. But Wicca really fully developed after Crowley's death because um, Crowley died in 19, the early, like the mid 1940s. So Wicca came to its fruition pretty much once Crowley was passed. Like Wicca was developing while Crowley was very old, if that makes any sense. So yeah. there was influence there, but it's not like Crowley did everything. Some Thelemites try to claim that, that's just not true. 
Um, other players, Jack Parsons was in America. He um, was, it was towards the end of Crowley's life. Thelema started, started taking off in California, um, which is still where the most Thelemites in the world are over in California in terms of numbers. Uh, the biggest Thelemic orgs are out there. So Thelema started picking up in California um, and then Parsons got investigated by the law and then died in a rocket test explosion mysteriously. So his, his life ended quicker than it should have, but he developed this idea called the witchcraft, um, which was very cool. It was like a Thelemic witchcraft take. Uh, sadly, a lot of his writings were burnt by his ex-girlfriend. So we don't even have all of his material, which is a little unfortunate, uh, but what we have is very cool. Uh, other big players, you got Austin Osmond Spare, who was a student of Crowley, thought the ceremonial stuff was way too over the top and ridiculous, and would form what would become chaos magic years later, or decades later. Oh, wow. I did not know that part. That's really interesting. Yeah, A.O. Spare, Crowley loved Spare. Spare did not return that feeling. <laughs> Crowley definitely liked Spare more than Spare liked Crowley. Um, he was a student of this stuff and was very close with Kenneth Grant. The guy who would start Typhonium Thelema, which is very fringe now, but Spare created automatic drawing and sigilization techniques. And all the people who would create chaos magic would credit Spare and take influence from him. The word chaos magic did not exist when Spare was doing what he was doing because it was in the 50s and 60s. Um, but the chaos magicians of the 70s would clearly take a heavy note from him. I call him a proto chaos magician. So spare was another big player um he also was a very good artist and then you got grant who typhonium philema is like a very weird take on philema um very interesting offspurt to say is the that least. the one that's very almost somewhat lovecraftian in nature yeah yeah, yeah it's the weirdly yeah. lovecraftian one um i'm not a typhonium thelemite I disagree with them on a lot, but their ideas are pretty cool. So that's kind of the, the landscape and the big players. Oh, you've got um, Helena Blavatsky. She would be important. She's a Russian woman who moved to America and started after traveling through India for many years and would start the, the theosophy, which theosophy would become the basis of the new age movement through her student, Alice Bailey. Um, Blavatsky and Crowley didn't know each other, but they were around the same time. Just a Dion Fortune. She's a little less important, but she would develop a lot of these kind of more modern ideas as well. And she was in that kind of general milieu. I think um, Blavatsky also, she developed a lot of theories on like, um, like you said, the new age stuff. And then also like very Atlantean kind of, yeah. right? Like very she Atlantean. She was, I have a lot of, I take up a lot, a lot of, of issues with her work. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts on Blavatsky. The thing is, whenever I'm reading Blavatsky, this is how I feel. I'll read it and I'll be like, this stuff makes a lot of sense. And then I'll just say something like, Blavatsky, no! I'll literally have like that reaction. I'll start, I'll be reading and I'm like, yeah, she's being normal. She's being okay. Then she'll say some just like way out there stuff. And I'll be like, Blavatsky, no. Please don't have another Blavatsky. I call them Blavatsky moments. When you're like reading an occult text and it's like doing great and then it says some like really out there shit, that's a Blavatsky moment. Because that's how it feels to read her work. Like she'll be like, reincarnation and afterlife can coexist at the same time. And here's why. And it's like really great. 
And then she'll be like, and that is why we are from Atlantis. And I'll be like, girl, what are you on about? She kind of, I, I don't know um, if this is 100% true, but I think it's easy to take her work. And I think a lot of people um, did take her work and kind of twist it into like eugenics or yes. like like some very like, very racist. Really, very yes, very and um, she had the root of- race thing, didn't she? Yeah, the root yeah. race thing was her. The thing about Blavatsky that's really weird is if you read her specific writings, it's not that bad. The mm-hmm. issue is, is there was a break off of Theosophists who called themselves Ariosophists. I think you can hear why that's yikes. Yeah, that word, that word gives away some very yikes stuff. Yeah, they're a break off, and they took Blavatsky's like root race ideas. Uh, which is inherently kind of yikes the way that she describes them, but it's not as bad as like these later people would take it. She basically thought that humans originated from like these ancient civilizations, very ancient aliens of her. I think ancient aliens read Blavatsky at some point. They're like humans originated from these ancient societies or whatever, which is yikes a little bit, but the way that her, the, the later people who interpreted her took it is way, way worse. Blavatsky, I think, didn't think through the implications of some of the stuff she wrote, to be completely honest. That's my thoughts on it. I don't, the thing that's that's weird about Blavatsky is we wouldn't have Eastern traditions in the West without her. Mm-hmm. So we got to give her a lot of credit there. I think that's the real thing that we should give her credit for. But like the root race stuff, the civilization stuff, like, and the Akashic records, that's where she really loses me. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, she's, She's very, she's very weird to discuss because like she has some good ideas, but a lot of her ideas have some very bizarre implications. And a lot of people who came after her took them in some really terrible ways, if that makes any sense. They, yeah, they applied them in ways that were very twisted. Um, yeah. And, and I've mentioned in the past, like I know I've done uh, posts about new age and and some of i hate saying the dangers of new age because there's dangers everywhere but there are a lot of dangerous ideas that people don't realize have origins and in, in some really dark places so when people are talking about star seeds oh I'll, star seeds yeah that's that's I, this is the thing that people don't get about star seeds yeah star seeds is a direct product of the root race theory like i'm it is um when you talk about lemuria atlantia those atlantis and lemuria were part of blavatsky's racial theories so Starseeds do come from that place. I don't think a lot of people realize that. Yeah, it's a very white supremacist application that people don't realize they're participating in today. Um, I have no idea. And and it's hard to explain that because it's not like it connects to it so quickly. It connected to it over almost a century of, well, it started with this woman and these ideas, and these ideas were broken down into this, and then people applied those ideas to this, and then this happened, and then all of a sudden now we're just like getting fun readings about which galaxies our ancestry comes from, and you're like, that's that's really not what's going on here. So um, I'm glad this was brought up because so many people who do participate in this this idea are not, they're not aware of what they're participating in. No, they're not. And the thing that's weird is Blavatsky left those threads there. I don't think she knew what she was doing with them, to be honest. I think she Mm -hmm. didn't realize what her work kind of meant at certain points, but you can't, I I just, I feel like with this stuff, you really can't completely unseparate them um, in terms of the modern application. I think with Blavatsky, you, you need to read that within the 
the context of I don't think she knew what she was thinking about. The people after her certainly connected it in ways that I actually don't even think are textually correct. But yeah, like any modern interpretation of that is going to have those origins and those connections because a lot of these, especially when it comes from the originating from other galaxies part, that's not what Blavatsky thought. Blavatsky thought that like the world had Atlantis as a literal physical place. It wasn't like it was a different galaxy. Like she made like maps, you know, like very accurate historic, <laughs> the only history yeah, very cartography on on fleek Blavatsky but yeah so it's not even like the modern interpretation isn't even what Blavatsky explained them as so mm-hmm. it's it's pretty clearly coming from these uh, at times ariosific sources which is very yikes I mean I don't very think your cringe. average new ager knows that at all but yeah I mean well I, I think Marshall I think that's why you say and I think we all say you know there is a danger and everything, but there is a big danger, I think, to some new age ideas. I know I was just talking to somebody recently and she was like, it's, so I guess she was like taking like, you know, just a very basic like health yoga class, right? And, you know, not mystical or anything like that, just like what you would go to a yoga class for. And she eventually witnessed a bunch of people in the class from the teacher starting to develop these new agey ideas that just eventually turned into really dangerous like white supremacist theories and she's like I'm literally watching this happen while I'm here and this is over a period of time it's not like it just yeah well people don't become radicalized in a day that's not how that works exactly and so she she's like I've been at this class for like you know I don't know how long it's been but like a period of time and she's like watching your new agey yoga teacher slowly become a like a, a a white supremacist and it's fucking terrifying and I think that is why we say you know these it, it it can open the door to some really dangerous things. Oh, totally. That's how we get into conspirituality. That, yeah, it's something people don't realize they're doing. It's it's very insidious in that way because a lot of people don't really research the history of the ideas that they follow, especially not like new age yoga spaces, you know? And so people don't realize what they're agreeing with a lot of the time until it's sort of just want to like blatant I, I just want to get like my angelic crystal aura reading and find out what galactic international space alien family I come from and then that's it you know yeah and then it's like we're gonna learn about root races I don't think many people even know the term root race thank god um I guess I'd rather these people take this as like love and light starseed stuff than what it actually originates from you know, in a weird way. I guess I'd rather them be wrong about it than correct. I don't know. I don't know I don't which know. one's worse. I don't know which, yeah, one's, which worse. one's worse. Ignorance truly them. is bliss, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, I think it kind of crushes them a little bit when you sort of inform them of that. If you're listening to this right now and you feel slightly crushed, I'm sorry. I'm not. That's it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry. Well, I, I just... It's so, it's so strange. Blavatsky is such a, like, theosophy is always, like, such a weird topic because 
it's like it's it's one where i'm like maybe we can just cherry pick okay why not why not the people have been doing with the bible for centuries right exactly (laughs) cherry pick theosophy for the cool integration of yoga and reincarnation and not the whole people are from atlantis the akashic records like that stuff maybe not the the second part yeah, I remember being, I remember myself like being in the new age for a while and learning with Akashic Records and and now understanding so much more how it was basically a, a I hate to say a radical misinterpretation, but it was basically a misinterpretation from something completely separate. It is not just a... a file cabinet room. A file of cabinet. Of, yeah, it's not a file cabinet room with everything that has ever happened going to happen. That's, that's not what it is, no matter how cool that sounds in new age philosophies would be cool it would be cool um but oh so while we're on the subject of that's not true at all this is a complete segue completely changing it (laughs) let's get back to ceremonial magic yeah (laughs) um so before we kind of finish up the uh, talking about ceremonial magic specifically um there are a lot of different types of tools in ceremonial magic would you say Oh, yes. There are a lot. What are some of like the most uh, prevalent tools, do you think? Well, um, you need a chalice. That would be important. Um, a layman. Some laymans are nice. What is that? Uh, it's basically like a pendany thing that you wear that represents the spirit or kind of goal of a ritual. Basically, it's like a symbol. You wear it. Um, there's circles like literal big, big circly mats. Um, Cause drawing that shit every time is a lot of work and I am lazy. Um, there's scrying mirrors. It's a black mirror used to scry with. You stare at it and see the things. Um, you need like an incense, big incense container. I use the like big, like church sensors. Um, there's robes certain rituals wear like regalia and like like looks ceremonial magic looks are not as cool as it looks <laughs> yes looks. serving looks serving ceremonial looks. ceremonial magic is the drag of of occultism <laughs> we need to get cuter robes so a lot of ceremonial magic regalia looks janky as hell like it's not a lot of it is not cute we need to up our game personally um there's you know, athames, swords, stabby things. You love a good, a good, good um, safety hazard. Um, we love that. candles, oils, abramelin oils, probably the most common one used in Thelema, uh, which is just a, an, an oil formulation from the abramelin operation. Um, there's like magic squares which are like big number squares that represent things. Um, There's tables of practice, which are once again, big squares with letters and numbers on them that symbolize things. Um, There's a lot more depending on what practice it is. There's wands, some some practices go really, really hard and some not as much, depends. I was gonna say, it's very dependent on like what you're doing because like, somebody who practices like a very traditional Solomonic magic thing, you know, you're going to have like every, everything should 
that is involved in your magical practice should only be specifically used for that magical, like they even talk about blessing a needle and thread and like sewing your own garments and embroidering things on it and having, you know, these really cute pair of shoes with some crosses on them, really kind of want them myself. And then, you know, I, and then you would have like golden dawn stuff, which I don't know much about, but I would assume, I mean, I've seen like the crosses and the banners and the, yeah, there's a lot different is different stuff. So I feel like the tools would be really different and variant depending on what yeah. you're practicing. Because in Philema, we've got we like we like swords a lot as thalamites. Um, stabby tools are preferred. Um, we've got specific regalia we wear. Um, the famous little hat, the triangle hat, I think is the one that everyone recognizes, um, which is from the probationer robe. That's that actually is. Um, which looks like the point, the curly triangle hat thing. It's not actually a hat um, in real life. It's a robe. But the thing is, I've, I've worn a probation robe. They don't fall like that. I, don't, I think Crowley put like, a, like a, a prop in it to make it stand up like that. Um, so the hat that you wear is not actually used for magic or it is? It is. So the hat that I wear is, so the, the one that I wear in my profile picture is not how it's actually styled in real life because... Um, the real life one doesn't fold the way that the photo does. So I got a hat to specifically replicate the photo. Um, so my hat thing is designed to perfectly match what the photo looks like, not the actual real life probationer row. Um, so mine is pointed, like it's a stronger point and it looks like a hat. Looks like every, every media depiction of Crowley always makes it a hat. So, cause it, it, yeah, it was just the hood that he had over his head, wasn't it? Yeah. In real life. Oh, I I always thought it was a hat. It looks, like, <laughs> looks a hat. like one. It looks like a hat. Yeah, and in real life, it's actually red. Um, that specific robe, uh, mine's black to match the image. But yeah, it, it doesn't. I, I've seen people in like I, I know what a probationer robe looks like. A lot of them do not fold that cleanly. That's why I'm convinced Crowley had like a piece of wood in there or something to make it fold better for the picture. Maybe it was like a really stiff wool. It must have been. A lot of them just don't fold like that. But yeah, that's the specific robe. It's from specific in a specific AA grade is what the real robe he was wearing was. But it's 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 a classic. It's the the, the hood with the triangle. All the Thelema robes have big hoods. They always have the big dangly sleeves. Very Stanley Kubrick, eyes wide shut, very Yeah, I think, yeah. I think Kubrick like looked at Thelemic aesthetics and was like this. Absolutely, so this absolutely. Is and he, what we want. he loved the like fringy occult stuff and just like would ride on it what but wasn't he actually in occultism i'm not sure i don't know maybe would make sense i really think eyes wide shut the way that they they their rituals are like visually set up does have a thalamic influence personally i think that's where that visual comes from because that's how the because the thalamic robes look like that basically they're not very flattering i will say like they have like specific ones for women as priests. They're not, they don't make them very cute most of the time. Crowley like needed to fucking get, get a better designer. We're not as bad as the Golden Dawn though. The Golden Dawn have worse robes than us. Okay, <laughs> they do. They're Were they like chips. polyester, different colors? They look like weirdly, Egy- like they're, they're like weirdly Egyptian, but like not in a cute way. I think that we need to get our, we need to get better robes, to be honest. A lot of the, the regalia and thelemas just very simple uh but yeah like there's always the big hoods they have like buttons 
here, here. Um, but they're long. They, I, I'm too short for a lot of them, actually. That's a problem that I have with Thelemic Regalia. I so am you, too tall for them. <laughs> so you do need robes. Like, garments are important for that kind of work. The thing is, it's interesting. It depends on what you're doing. You don't need them. You could just wear all black. I know in um, a lot of the orders for the, like, people who are new, they just have them wear all black. Um, the colors matter more than the specific robe configuration. Uh, there's certain things that do require, like the priestess has a specific robe, like it's blue with red. That's very specific. Um, for one, a couple of rituals you're required to wear or recommended to wear like a white scarf on your head. I wear like a Catholic mantilla veil for those. This That's, is for Th- Thelema. Yeah, right? for Thelema. Yeah. Okay. For some specific rituals, like the one that people do on the three days of writing the book of the lawyers, Crowley wore a white headscarf. So it's recommended to wear one. I just wear a Catholic veil because it's white. It's cuter than just- It's very cute. I've seen it. Yeah. It's very cute. So like a lot of the recommendations for regalia and Philema are pretty loose, to be honest. People just over time have developed specific ways of designing them and styling them. That's why I think we need to up our game because they're not that specific a lot of the time. It's like wear a black robe. Okay, you you can make that cute. Yeah. We can do better. We can. Yeah. They did, it, they did it on Coven. We can do it too. <laughs> Let, imagine. Um, <laughs> I love that. Uh, so what kind of books do you think have really like shaped your, your specific practice and what would you perhaps recommend to other people to be reading if they wanted to get into ceremonial magic? Yeah, so the books that have really influenced me would have to be, obviously, I got to go with Magic and Fury and Practice. That's a big one. Uh, Book of the Law, Liber 49. Um, Liber 49 is a big one for me. I really like the Israel Regardi's The Golden Dawn book. Um, Pretty much anything Parsons wrote, but Liber 49 is the best one. Um, I really like... Let me think. What are the big ones that have influenced me? Um, I mean, you read so much. Yeah. Um, I also get taken from from Picatrix. I really like the Picatrix a lot. That's a that's a good one for me. Also, Abraham Allen by Abraham of Worms. Um, In terms of recommendations for beginners, I have like multiple reading lists I've made, but the ones on the top of my head. Llewellyn's Complete Book of Ceremonial Magic is like my favorite beginner book. Annoyingly, it came out pretty recently, so I couldn't read it as a beginner. Salty about that. I'm very, it came out in 2020, um, but it's very, very good. Uh, Lon Milo Duquette is very helpful for Thelema in general. He's like the one person who makes it digestible. His, all of his books are good. I've never read a bad book from him. Um, and then... Magic Without Tears by Crowley would be where you should probably start with his work if you want to learn how to like actually do things. And Liber Oz, it's a pay, it's a pamphlet. Read Liber Oz, it's literally a page long. It's on Hermetic Library. But yeah, those would be my beginner books. I have big videos on my YouTube if you want my like really long, I made a 30 book long Thelema reading guide at one point. Um, so if you want really intense recommendations, <laughs> like called the ultimate Thelema reading guide that video I'm very proud of I've seen it it's very good it's very in-depth and you talk a little bit about it too so it's like a nice like good juicy 
long video. It's not just like, oh, read this book. You actually kind of like talk about the contents and what it is that you're reading. Because that book is, I tried to make, um, I know like online you see with these like big reading like infographics. I tried to make a video version of those. Um, but yeah, so those would be my advice. Um, the big thing with ceremonial magic is please read beginner books instead of the like source books first because you will be lost. A lot and of these start with Agrippa. Uh, Agrippa, so Agrippa, so I, when I first got on occult discord, everyone would tell beginners to read Agrippa's three books of occult philosophy. This is terrible advice. I, I don't know who thought this was great. <laughs> I don't know who's like, yeah, let's tell That's every mean. beginner the, book, the first book they should read should be Agrippa's Three Books of Occult Philosophy. Terrible. I mean, like, you can do it. Like, it, it is a good book. I consider it, like, the lawnmower manual of occultism. Like, it's dry as hell. It has all the material, but it feels like you're reading a fucking lawnmower manual. I, I don't know who, who thought it's like, yeah, let's tell beginners to read Agrippa. That's terrible advice. I'm sorry. I feel, I feel like I might have have actually told people that and no you're right it's bad advice it's bad advice because you read it and you tell them to read it and they come back to you in a year and they're like I finally actually gotten through this fucking series of books um and they're like I don't know what to do that like there's no actual information it, it's literally like building blocks of like hermetic philosophy and not well I, I quote unquote hermetic philosophy and and like western ceremonial magic kind of Definitely. as it's we know it useful but it's not a beginner book I don't know who had this idea that like Agrippa is some like 101 book like Agrippa is useful I think everyone should read it I've read Agrippa which took me a long time but I, I did read it um, but yeah, like, I, I don't know who's like, yeah, let's, let's give beginners a grip. It's terrible advice. I don't care. I'll blatantly say it's bad advice. Like, it it I, is. No, it is. It reminded me. Beginners to read the book of the law. They're not going to know what the fuck they just read. And then they're going to burn the book. They will. <laughs> they, they'll do it. It reminded me of when I was younger watching, um, uh, Beetlejuice when they had that handbook for the recently deceased, but they yeah. couldn't, they couldn't fucking read it. Cause they were like, this thing reads like stereo instructions. I have no idea how to maneuver myself through this to even apply the information. I, um, you know, when people come to me and they ask for books and things like that, I, I, it's not, it's not frustrating, but it's like a little like, well, what do you want to get into? Because like, yeah, it's hard to give a general book because there are many books that teach you the basics of everything. Right. right. And if they are, you know, I don't know how to say this in the best way possible, but if they're teaching you the basics of everything, they're not prolific books. They're, they're starter books. They're beginner books. They're, they're getting the basis out there so you can have a springboard to jump on from there to there. But I mean, I can, there can only be so many of them. There could only be so many good beginner books before we're just kind of regurgitating the same information. And if you want to get off into this path, you have to get a book that focuses specifically on that path, but not just yeah. one. You could get like seven of them because there's going to have a bunch of different renditions. If you get a book on traditional so witchcraft, it's the same on... thing. Yep. I have, I have quite a few books on traditional witchcraft. They're all very different. Mm -hmm. They yeah, all teach and... different, different traditional witchcraft. Different and... traditional witchcraft. Literally some somebody this morning was like, hey, what are some books you recommend? And I'm like, well, on I'm on, on traditional witchcraft, okay. actually. And okay. I was like, well, you know, I don't practice traditional witchcraft. I know that I do because folkloric and lowercase t traditional, whatever. But like, like, what do you, do you want to get into 
Chumbly? Do you want to get into like Good luck finding regionalism? Best, best traditional witchcraft. Chum, Chumbly, Chumbly is best. Yeah, yeah, and digestible and interesting. And I mean, but good luck finding those books, right? Good luck finding them. And if you do, right? And if you do, I hope you make a lot of money because you'll be spending lots of money on them. Azoasia, I don't know. Uh, um, (laughs) casually buy the Azoasia. I looked, I looked for it. I mean, I got you gotta have a thousand dollars ready to just wipe your ass with. (laughs) <laughs> there's one for sale right now for 500 Ooh. oh i know really hold on <laughs> where oh. right literally there won't be literally. by the end of this episode it's also i mean yeah I, I could i won't say anymore on it because it could get me in trouble but um <laughs> uh so churchina let's uh let's talk about because i know for thelema um specifically like having a daily practice is very recommended recommended yeah so um for daily practice stuff like I know you've kind of dispelled the myth that daily practice is a hell of a lot of work you know that you're like prostrating in front of your your altar for like an hour every day can you talk a little bit more about your daily practice and and the benefits of that yeah so daily practice is very important it's very strongly recommended um within thelema and within all of like the western ceremonial magic a lot of people think daily practices are like really exhaustive because you'll meet these like people online who plan to do enochian for like five hours a day every day um those people exist i don't know if they actually do that every day i don't know will sus but you know, most people's daily rituals take like five minutes. They're not long. Uh, very one, ones that I do, I do Liber Resh, um, which is basically like you face a direction every time. It's, 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 you know, as the sun moves through the sky, you like, it's like a sun salutation, kind of, sort of. Takes less than a minute each time. So that's a whole like five minutes of your day. Um, not hard. It just keeps you thinking about your, like, your will throughout the day, keeps you on track. Um, I do the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram, which is a pentagram ritual that clears out your space of any g- goop and centers you in the center of your own microcosm. Uh, it's used at the beginning and end of a lot of rituals, but people do it as a daily as well. Um, that takes a whole like three minutes or something. Like It's not long. Um, and then I like pray and do offerings and stuff. That's pretty much my daily practice. It's, it's not, and I meditate for like 10 minutes, you know, really. So my whole daily practice takes up and it's not all at once. I don't do it all in one go. Takes up like maybe 15 minutes. That's like nothing. I spend more than 15 minutes a day on Twitter. Like, right. You know, it's, it's not bad. Daily practices. They're always, you're going to always meet those people who claim they meditate for like 15 hours a day or whatever. Like there's always someone who claims they do like the most intensive daily practices or whatever. Most people don't, most Thelemites just do like Liber Resh or something. Like it's not, it's not that crazy. We do big rituals now and again, we don't do them like every day. Um, I know like one bigger daily, some people do is Mass of the Phoenix. I think that's a little much for a daily long-term. I think going through a period of doing that as a daily can be useful, but like, you know, it, it's not, it's not too, too crazy most of the time. And daily practices, of course, can run the gamut 
of all different types of things that people may be doing. Cause I know you've talked about this and, and on Twitterverse, you've gotten almost, I hate saying a little trouble, but people will call out and say like, Oh, saying you have to do this every day is ableist. And I'm like, there are so many, right there's so path. many different types of daily practices that don't involve even opening your eyes. That's not even true that it's ableist because most therapists nowadays recommend meditation to people who have mental illness. Which exactly. meditation is one of the most common daily practices. Sometimes so your it's not daily even walk. Like therapeutically correct because most therapists recommend people have daily structures and discipline and routines to get their mental health on track. It's not even correct. And I think it's very actually ableist to imply disabled people can't like pull a tarot card a day. Right. Like not every disabled person is like the, the most extreme version of low functioning. Like if you're like, if you have some mild disabilities, like let's say you like can't walk or something, which is horrible. It's awful. But like, you can still, you can visualize the big rituals. You can visualize your LVRP. You can meditate. You can pull your tarot cards. You know, there's stuff you can do. Like. Exactly. And because I think people think like, oh, I have to do this big ceremony. I'm like, no, that's not what it is. My daily practice is usually watering and singing to my plants, putting my intention in my coffee and sometimes doing a, a, a water, uh, a water uh, offering to my ancestors and my ancestor altar. That doesn't necessarily mean that I am doing all of those the same time. And, and that's not someone else's. I know uh, uh, Temperance has said that one of her things is a daily devotional of 15 minutes of reading. Yeah. Because that is, that is the devotion that she has made to her practice. And I think yeah. that that's, that's, that opens up a big window to what is a daily practice that people may not interpret right off of the bat. Yeah, well, daily practice can be really anything. It's just something you do every day. Do it based on what your practice is and what your practice needs. Right. As someone who's not very super ceremonial, I remember when I was trying to actually add a ceremony into my practice every single day. And I hate to say I got burnt out because it's not really what it was, but I just, I wouldn't, I I, I wouldn't commit to it. And if that's not something that you're going to commit to, that's totally okay. You don't have to make it your daily practice. I remember that's something you've talked about before in the past when people like don't choose a bunch of things that you're going to get burnt out committing yeah, to. Yeah, don't overcommit. Add one, this is my advice, add one component at a time. It takes 20 something days to build a habit in your brain. So you need to like, you know, be past that threshold when you add new things, add like one new thing a month max, you know, like don't throw a ton at once because you're going to get overwhelmed by it. Right. I know for a while there, I was like, I'm going to write for at least this much time in my book of shadows, my journal every single day. And eventually I just did not want to do that every day. (laughs) Yeah. And it's good about experimentation. Some things may not work for you. Some may. So lastly, before we close out, I kind of wanted to um, bring up something that you've kind of made a passion project of yours, and it's the hashtag defend occult books. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah. So about, God, it was like in June or so, um, I started a hashtag called defend occult books. A lot of people were confused by what I meant by that. Uh, basically, I wrote a big piece for Pathios about it, but 
there's a big problem. I'm a Zoomer. I'm one of one of the, the fellow Zoomers. And a lot of people in my age range are developing a sort of anti-intellectualism due to a variety of factors, some legitimate, some not. Um, some of it does come from genuine concerns, but basically there's been a complete rejection of historic occult material for fears that it doesn't hold up to modern standards for various reasons, um, as well as a big black and white um, condemnation of any modern literature that references people they don't like or disagrees with them ideologically. In a lot of like Discord servers, a popular place for young people to learn about the occult, there are these things called author blacklist where they'll have like 100 books or so listed with a short sentence why you cannot read them. And if you mention them, you get banned from the server. As well, you see a lot of young people saying that books are not, they'll, they'll like cancel old authors or whatever that are dead. There are certain people who I probably don't think you should be reading. Like, I don't know why you're reading Satri Devi or Evola, like those I get. I'm like, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe don't. But for people like Crowley or Gardner, it's just, it's, it's kind of ridiculous to think that these people who lived a hundred years ago are going to perfectly fit modern standards because we're not going to do that in a hundred years, right? A hundred years looking back at us, we're going to be seen as problematic, right? That's just how time goes and progresses. So it's just, it's very ridiculous. And there's also been a rise of people saying um, in concern of the closed practice discourse, which I've spoken on immensely, that uh, you can't read books by authors that are not the same ethnicity as you. You can't buy authors, you can't buy books from authors who are uh, people of color if you're white, because that's appropriation, which that literally harms these authors because if those books don't sell, those books don't get made. And no author is like fucking publishing the secret stuff they're not allowed to share. That would be absolutely absurd. If you have some sacred thing you wanna protect, why would you put that in a mainstream book? No one's stupid, like no one's doing that. No one's like publishing their like deep secrets and making that public information. It's just, it's very ridiculous. Like it, it's, some of it is out of a real concern that I think is legitimate, but it just, it goes too far and it ends up like condemning whole swaths of occult literature that are valuable. It's, it's funny you mentioned that my favorite thing to do when, when someone recommends a book, I always go to, I always go online to Amazon and I, I look up, I want to see like how much, how much is it when it was published, who was the publisher. And then I also start looking at the comments and I've shared this, my some of them in my story. Is one star reviews of things like the keys of Solomon. They're yes! so good. <laughs> I, I, I posted that. I have one star review for the key of Solomon. It was specifically the, um, uh, I saw McGregor, McGregor's. Wait, it was it was um, the lesser key specifically, and uh, it was uh, going on. The, is it the Legaton? Legaton? Legaton, yeah. Legaton, yeah, that's right. Lesser. That's yeah, a lesser, the lesser key. The lesser key is the one that everyone talks about. No one, no. I think the greater key is good. No one mentions the greater key. <laughs> well, someone left a review for one star talking about how these sigils look ridiculous. Their four-year-old could have made them. And her using her intuition would make much stronger sigils than these old child's things. And I'm like... So good. I love the, that. Who the fuck do you... Like, what? That's uh, so good. I think my favorite is I was reading one star reviews of, um, if you read one star reviews of anything Crowley wrote, it's always these like conspiracy theorist types. Um, but I remember I was reading one star reviews for, I think it was the Abramelin. And one of the comments was like, book is slow. (laughs) (laughs) Try doing the ritual. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Literally. 
like, for you. you know what go off I, I actually really supported this um <laughs> when it first came out and I loved it because I I had to get out of a lot of Facebook groups and I had to kind of close myself off from some of these different avenues that I felt were um they were very much like leaning heavily into the anything you do say or think of is correct and I'm like ah, I feel like that gets it, I don't of course think that's true. I don't think that's true at all I don't think it gets in, it gets into the whole intention is everything aspect which we've talked about and you've talked about I have I have well. whole I think I have a whole podcast episode called a whole episode. and it's one of those things where it feels like people just stop wanting to read books because they just feel like they can make up it all in their own head. And I feel like there are many aspects of my craft and my practice that I do intuit, that I do build up from my own correspondences, my own UPG, but they're so much built off of what I've also learned historically. They're built off of what I know from uh, uh, different connections to occult history, why we've built these things up. I think that's one of the reasons why I like talking about the history of, of what has evolved into what we use now. So I was really excited to see this, this hashtag defendicle books because I have so many of them and I, I think they're so important to building a, a, a practice that is legitimate, in my opinion. I agree. I think it was, I mean, I'm still kind of thinking of new ways to bring it up again. Um, it's definitely not a project that is over. Um, I really believe that we need to defend occult books because they're important. Um, so I really suggest reading my essay on Pathios about it. It was actually originally written as a rebuttal, uh, but it's a, it's a good essay summarizing the goals and why I did it with the numbers and the like, I, I used like quotes from the blacklist, you know what I mean? Like I, I go very intensely into why I did it um, because some people were kind of confused on what precisely it meant, which I get it's, it's a hashtag things kind of get lost as they spread but I also yeah. um did uh an interview with you for for it and it is on uh my blog at bainexbramble.com um which I think gives a little bit more of like just some statistics and numbers and things like that too um about the hashtag as well yeah it's very interesting the that like anti uh the intellectualism that or the anti-intellectualism that comes up in in those occult spheres like anytime you start I, I'm gonna get red flags anytime that you start like blacklisting anything like no matter how in the name of like liberalism that it is because I'm like well that's really antithetical to what you're saying I mean I, I definitely understand like being very cautious of books like I people. Think it's fine to this is my my take. It's fine to give people a heads up and maybe like hey maybe don't like promote maybe don't maybe let's not recommend Satri Devi to like fifteen year olds. Maybe let's not do that. Um, but I, I think that people should be allowed to read whatever they want. You know I'm I'm pro pro free speech and all that. I think that if someone recommends something. There, there is a threshold with it. I, I do think like it gets a little weird when we start talking about these really extreme authors, you know, but in general, most of the books, the thing is the books they were targeting were not like, they weren't going after like Gwen on Evola Satri. Like it was like- Silver Ravenwolf. Yeah, it was literally Silver Ravenwolf was on these lists. Like 
it's ridiculous. Like there's, there's a big difference between being like, I caution people reading about things and then being like, Silver Ravenwolf is bad. You know, I think there's a big, big gap there. And that's when it becomes just very draconian. And there were books basically if 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 it ever mentioned White Sage and then published in the 90s, blacklisted. Yeah, no, it was very, very over the top overkill, to be honest. Like I even saw Gabby Hertzik's books on some of these. And she's like one of those non-offensive occult personalities. I was like, they they actually blacklist Gabby Herzig books because it only focused on the divine feminine. And I'm like, because uh, that's what she talks about. What the fuck right. are you doing? <laughs> I, and that, that rise in intellectualism, I think it comes from a lot of communities pushing the idea of, and, and relishing in, why read it when I can make it up? I, I see I that think happen there, a lot. I think there's a lot of like, critique to which I, I I know plenty of academics would say like no these are valid critiques but like people and I think Georgina and I talked about this you know there are reasons that we should be highly critical of um, certain aspects of institutions like academia colleges uh, museums things like that because they you know they're not necessarily perfect institutions the the issue that we're talking about specifically is is this anti-intellectualism that is separating things completely uh as as black and white and you know there's no room for conversation or nuance and i think that's problematic and that's where we run into the issues oh absolutely it's when it lacks all nuance because you could read an author critically like i read and i talk about crowley a lot do i blindly agree with everything the dude said no do I critique some of the stuff that he said? Yes. Like you can read something and have critiques of it. You should be thinking while you read, not just being like, yes. You know, you should always be questioning. Well, you have been listening to Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. You can find me on uh, Instagram and TikTok under Witch of Southern Light, as well as on Twitter, Marshall WSL. I'm Austin Bain X Bramble on Instagram, and that, that I mean, oh, and on Twitter now. I can Twitter. say that. Uh, I'm Georgina Rose, or Dot Darling, D A T. I am on, oh God, I'm going to go through the whole list. Do it, I, yeah, do it. I am on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. TikTok, Telegram, Patreon, Ko-Fi, that's where you can direct donate. I also host the podcast Magnolias and Magic on most major podcasting platforms that has a Patreon as well. Uh, Magnolias and Magic is a commentary show on the esoteric community. Um, And my other stuff is educational on most platforms, sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes, I love that. Southern Bramble is a Patreon. Southern Bramble is a Patreon supported podcast. And I would like to thank the top tier of our patrons right now. Mandy Varplus, Aditi Steppens, Timothy, the Witch of Elfane, Pamela Staryak, Nicolette Glixa, the Lady Ghost, Courtney, Key Archambald, and of course, Anastasia Beaverhazen. Thank you so much for your support. Mm-hmm.